Welcome to London Calling EU, a podcast from the EU delegation here in the UK, in which we look at this new post-Brexit relationship with a new lens and demonstrate that there is life beyond Brexit. Last time for Valentine's Day, we looked at British-European mixed couples and the impact they might have on the future of the EU-UK relationship. Today, we're going to focus on how the influence of Europeans changed British football. I'm Vieri Capretta, an Italian football journalist and your host for this podcast. Let me introduce our guests for today. It is an honor to have with us Claudio Ranieri, the one and only the Premier League winning and legendary football coach. Simon Cooper, a columnist for the Financial Times who writes about sports and in particular about football from an anthropologic perspective. And last but not least, Philippe Auclair, French sports journalist who writes for France Football among others and has been living in the UK for many years. Philippe, I'd like to kick us off with a question for you. For many European children, football represented their first encounter with the UK and, of course, vice versa. What did English football mean to you while you were growing up in France? An awful lot. Quick explainer, I'm from the north of France, from Normandy, which always had a, a closer relationship perhaps with England in particular than the rest of the country. And despite the fact that at the time, the only English football we saw at home was the FA Cup final, there always was this incredible magnetic attraction of English football on us, not just my generation, but it had been like that, I think, <laughs> ever since the 1920s. So my heroes, when I grew up, were not just French players, but they were also English players. And the one footballer who might paint a picture of in my bedroom was George Best, something I have in common with, I think, quite a few people. So it was huge. It was a very romantic, probably idealized image of English football. But I very much grew in an environment and in a generation for whom English football was very much the reference. I was around when they won the World Cup. I didn't see anything of it, but there was still this aura about, you know, the land of the game. That was part of my upbringing. That was why, for me, to start with, football was English football, if I'm absolutely honest. Changed a bit after that, but as a child and as a teenager growing up, most definitely it was the football that attracted me the most. And then all these Europeans came along... Uh early 2000s, late 90s, and everything changed, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that uh, the attraction of English football never changed. I mean, the fact that it has a kind of hold on people who watch it abroad, and I'm talking for myself here, but many people in France as well, has never diminished. But then, of course, the relationship changed completely because of a Frenchman and a few Frenchmen who arrived in England. I'm not talking about Didier Six arriving at Aston Villa in 1986, but I'm, of course, talking about Eric Cantona, who was very much the pioneer and um, the vanguard of uh, the French football invasion, so to speak, of English football. And then afterwards, of course, Arsene Wenger in 1996. So you had, in the 1990s, a complete change of perspective. But I think the change of perspective was more from the English side and from the European side. We had confirmation of the fact that continental footballers and managers could be a success in England. But for English football, it was an extraordinary revelation. It was a, a profound shock. We changed it absolutely forever. And especially since it coincided as well with the reinvention of English football through the creation of the Premier League. So you have got synchronicity here, a kind of perfect storm for the best and for the worst, which meant that the so-called continental invasion, in particular at the beginning, the French invasion. Um, sorry, Claudio, I know there was also Luca Viali and Gianfranco Zola and all these people and yourself, but it started with, with the French guys. And then it changed absolutely everything from the beginning of the 90s onwards. 
So, of course, you mentioned uh, Claudio Ranieri and speaking of successful people in the Premier League, he's definitely a legend for that. And uh, we're going to start from, from when you moved to Chelsea, Claudio, after having spent many years as a manager in Spain and Italy. How did the Premier League differ from European football back then? Yeah, it was very different from Italy match and the Spanish match because uh, in England everything is faster and stronger. And I love this kind of football. No, there are a lot of emotion when when the team attack and try to score goals to create chances to score goals. And I love this kind of football. The difference, no, in Italy is a very more tactical match. In Spain, is more touch the ball, move the ball, dominate the opponent, and then try to score goals. In England, no, uh, there is a goal. You have to go there and. Uh, faster you can do and try to score goals. And I love this kind of football. And when you returned 10 years later at Leicester City, how did it change uh, since uh, your first experience in the UK? Uh, the change was more tactically because I think uh, in 2000 there were something, but now there are some different coaches, different culture, uh, different system of the, the match. And uh, now it's more completely. completely. And uh, also in the same matches, there are changes of uh, tactics, system and everything. And now it's a very, very fantastic uh, league, the Premier League. And I'd like to bring Simon into this discussion as well, because obviously uh, you've written a lot about managers and players and how they've changed uh, during the years. Would you say that the old stereotype of a very physical English player and that type of English manager, are they still relevant in some way or has the change been too much? I think it's still the case that it's the fastest league. The sprints are faster. There is a bit more tackling. But, you know, as Claudio indicates, it has become much more like a European league. It's hard now to tell the difference between a good English team and a good Spanish team. And I think watching England at Euro 2020 last summer, you realized players like Mason Mount or Raheem Sterling or Phil Foden are really European players. They could have come out of the Barcelona Academy. So England is producing very different footballers from what it did before. And I think that the old English game of the 90s, the long ball football, I mean, remember in the early 90s, the England manager Graham Taylor was the epitome of a long ball coach. That is dead. You might find it in somewhere in the lower divisions, but in the Premier League, that is buried history, and the Premier League has forever been Europeanized. I'm European champion, so I'm not one of the bottle. I think I'm a special one. I'm a totally normal guy. I came from Black Forest. My mother maybe sit in front of the television and watch this press conference and understand no word until now, but she's very proud. So I'm a totally normal guy. I'm the normal one. It's amazing. We are in Champions League. We are in Champions League, man. Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. Well, some iconic quotes from three of the great European Premier League managers, Jose Mourinho, Jurgen Klopp, and of course, our very own Claudio Ranieri, who is with us today on this podcast. Claudio, to what extent have the managers and the coaches been the drivers of change in the Premier League? And who have been the most influential, aside from yourself, of course? I think... A lot was uh, to watch also uh, matches in television because uh, a long time ago you can see a lot of matches in television and now there are also some applications you can find every football and every nation in the television and that is very, very important to open mind 
to try to think about what you can improve, no? And now uh, I think everybody can uh, bring some idea from the other coaches. And speaking of influential coaches, Philippe, obviously you mentioned him. Of course, you mentioned Cantona, who's a player, but uh, just how important was Arsene Wenger considering that he had very great success in his early years and then kind of spent two decades at Arsenal and he was part of the change initially and then almost got in the middle of it all. And towards the end, what he brought at the beginning wasn't as efficient either. There are loads of sides to his huge influence on the English game. The first of all is obviously, well, stating the obvious, he was the first foreign manager, continental manager, to come and become such a success in England. So he put paid to quite a few stereotypes and, and ideas that the English game had about managers coming from other nations. That's one thing that's just for the principle. Then he brought in, of course, things which are now completely part and parcel of any managers, any coach, any English coach at any level in terms of uh, physical preparation, in terms of, um, of diet. Less so in terms of tactics, he was not, you know, he didn't have such a, a huge impact in, as far as tactics are concerned, but also bringing players from various backgrounds in various countries who perhaps before him, I mean, he de-anglicized the English game basically to an extent. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, Wenger's influence, yes, on one hand, convincing the English that it was possible to use a French manager, uh, a foreign manager, and also to put in place managerial practices which are now completely taken for granted, which we certainly was not the case uh, at the time. Gérard Houillet must be, I think, be named as well, because he showed that it was possible for a foreign manager to have an emotional attachment to an English club that perhaps other people wouldn't have thought was possible. And the link that he created with Liverpool was astonishingly strong, just like you know the link that Klopp has with Liverpool. But shouldn't forget that Gérard Houillet was very much somebody who showed that it was possible to grow roots, as it were, in the English game when you were a foreigner. So, yes, I mean, they totally transformed the game. Arsene in particular, also because of the type of game he played, which was not so much about the tactics as about the imagination, the invention, the speed, all these things coupled with the way that he changed the preparation of his players. And as I said, as he brought in a number of, um, of foreigners within the team, at the beginning, keeping an English structure to it, but quite quickly, just like <laughs> I was going to say, um, Luca Vialli and, and, and Ulde Rollet did at Chelsea, uh, but then afterwards, making people live with the fact that it was possible to have a team of foreigners who could still play in England which is quite an achievement when you think about it and when you think of the way that Wenger was actually welcomed, if that's the word, in English football. It was, to say the least, a, a difficult period for him to settle in. He didn't quite have the public on his side. He had to convince an awful lot of people that they were wrong, and he did so. And by doing that, he completely opened English football to foreign influence. And of course, it's not just been the managers and coaches, and there's so many that you could mention because obviously you've touched upon uh, Julia Wenger. Uh, we have Ranieri here with us. I can think about Ancelotti, Conte, Mourinho, Klopp, Guardiola. All of them are foreigners and they all have different backgrounds as well, which makes it even more interesting. How have the players, though, influenced each other? Simon, I'd like to, you know, we touched upon the, the old stereotype of the physical English player that perhaps is no longer of relevance, but the British players themselves become more European over the years. Because I'm looking at players right now like Foden, Sancho, Rashford, uh, who look and 
in a way, play it differently to what we traditionally uh, used to remember as a typical English player? Yeah, I mean, English players have improved from playing for 25 years with and against the best players in the world. So there used to be this ridiculous idea that the number of foreigners in the Premier League was damaging the England team, that England's failures were because there were too many foreign imports. In fact, the opposite is true. We've shown in our book, Soconomics, Stefan Szymanski and I, that England's performances match by match have improved in the last 25 years. You know, they get to the quarterfinals, semifinals of major tournaments more often. The winning percentage of the last three England managers, Southgate, Hodgson and Capello, are the best in England's post-war history alongside Alf Ramsey. So the England team has got better, which is exactly what you'd expect. Because if you're playing in the Premier League now, you have to be a great player every week. You learn every week from your teammates and your opponents. And there's still, you know, people say there's only about 37% of the players in the Premier League are English. Well, that's a lot. That's about 70 players every match day. I mean, the Portuguese or the Croats or the Belgians, very successful national teams, they don't have 70 players in all the five big European leagues combined. So 70 players is enough to compose a good England team. And that's what we're seeing now. So I would say thank God for the Premier League in terms of improving the national team. And I'd like to pass this question on to Claudio Ranieri as well. Just how much have European players influenced British players and vice versa? I think uh, what said Simon is uh, true. The English players are improved a lot because uh, the English player, first of all, have to be strong, fast, resistant. And now it's very, very important also the technical skill. And uh, that is very important. Now you see very good player can move and have fantasy and uh, make uh, assist uh, the last pass and uh, and then it's very, very important. You see very good national team in England team, no? And uh, I think that is a good for all the influence with the young players. If I can interject um, about this, the one thing which was an argument which was often used against the presence of foreign players uh, in the Premier League was the way that it was preventing young English players from actually progressing and becoming, you know, first-class professionals, which I always thought was a complete red herring. And it's been proven so by the results of, of the youth teams that England has put together and from players who are very much the direct product of youth coaching programs, strategies put in place by Premier League clubs. I mean, we see today Arsenal with, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka and, and others. We've seen Chelsea being extremely successful as well in the recent past. Uh, we've seen Manchester City too and Manchester United and many other clubs. And then you, you said for the first time you had England teams winning at under 17, under 19, under 20 level and winning big trophies, European trophies, World Cups, which is something completely new. And I don't think that it would have happened if the Premier League clubs hadn't started with their own programs of coaching, which were a direct consequence of their opening up to Europe and to the continent. A lot of very good points there and a lot of big clubs have been mentioned, but I think having Claudio Ranieri on this podcast means we're going to have to ask him about that Leicester City season and how it was possible to win the Premier League and how much of the European knowledge he has as an Italian coach who's coached many years Yes, in the Premier League, but also in Serie A and Spain. How much of that came into the making of that Leicester City Premier League victory? 
I think there is uh, all my knowledge because also I, I manage in France and then uh, I think I talk everything from this culture, no? Italian, uh, Spanish, uh, France, uh, England. And there was a very good mix of uh, players and of course was a, a very fantastic uh, fairy tale, no? Because uh, for us it w- was fantastic every match. Every match we did, we played every time better, better and better. And then at the end we believe we can do something fantastic. And I think our strength was the, our consistencies. Uh, we don't lose so many matches and the big teams don't have the consistency that uh, I can say that they may be one, two, three matches and then lost one, two matches. And no, we were very, very continuously in the room to win and we won so many matches, one nil, one nil, one nil. And that was uh, very, very important. I think uh, we linked together in the best moment for each other. The players who before never played in Premier League start to play well and score goals. And uh, also the young Kante, uh, the Vardy. Uh, was amazing what happened that year. It was truly amazing. I mean, legendary. So, we've uh, talked about the players and the managers. Now I'd like to turn to the football fans. Now, the combination of the Champions League, European players, short-haul flights in the 1990s meant that many Britons discovered Europe thanks to football. Simon, to what extent did this sport play a role in the Europeanization of Britain in the last decades? I think that... London in particular was starting to Europeanize just as the foreign players began to arrive at the start of the 90s. So the Eurostar opens in 1994. Uh, just before then, you're starting to get cheap flights to European destinations through EasyJet and Ryanair. And from 1992, European citizens can work anywhere in Europe and a lot start coming to London in very large numbers and students as well. So you're seeing this society which is suddenly opening up quite rapidly to Europe. But the best-known Europeans in England are footballers. And, you know, a lot of British people had never met a French person before, except maybe a waiter in a restaurant who they couldn't understand or didn't get on with. They'd never met a German. And suddenly, people like Cantona, Ginola, Ruth Hullet, Dennis Bergkamp are becoming heroes, Zola. And these people are very, very exciting, charismatic, brilliant, handsome, you know, mostly nice guys. And so I think that that contributes to a a sort of pro-European feeling. It sounds strange to say this now after Brexit, but I think that the 90s were a time when football helped show an appealing and everyday face of Europe. And do you think this will play a role even in uh, post-Brexit relationships where, you know, these heroes will continue to be European? and, And currently, I mean, the Premier League winning managers aren't English. So just how important is football in keeping these relations? Well, I think these relations will survive. But I mean, it's been very interesting to see all these years that fans love good European players, good European managers. Claudio Ranieri was a hero. Liverpool fans love Jurgen Klopp. Manchester United fans stand for Eric Cantona. You never saw any xenophobia or indeed racism towards their own players. So Thierry Henry was the most beloved Arsenal player. I remember interviewing Michel Platini once and he said, you know, when he was president of UEFA, how can Liverpool fans identify with all these foreign players? You know, when Liverpool play Manchester City, he said it's like America playing Qatar or something like that. 
Well, that's not what the fans feel. They feel that if Cantona is playing for United, he is of them. He is one of them. So it's very interesting that in football, this kind of anti-Europeanism has hardly ever played a role. In fact, to the contrary, among English fans, there's an admiration and an envy of the Europeans who historically have done it a little bit better. If I can jump into um, Simon's trail here, an absolute crucial element of that is something which is very specific to the English game, which exists in other countries, which, which is very specific, is that the first link of a football fan is to his club, not to his country in England. Which coming from France is a big shock because our first link is to the national team and not to a particular club, even if we have a fondness or a fan or, or even a season ticket holder. Here in England, your loyalty is towards your own club. And therefore, whoever defends the colours of the club is part of your clan, so to speak. Patrick Vieira is an Arsenal man. And that's it. He's not a Frenchman for Arsenal fans. He's an Arsenal man. Same thing. Franco Zola is a Chelsea man. And you can carry on and, and see that. And therefore, this creates a kind of acceptance of the foreigner because the foreigner is no longer a foreigner. The foreigner is part of your closest family. Now, over the years, the Premier League became the most cosmopolitan championship in the world uh, since its creation in 1992. It saw over 2,400 foreign players coming from 113 different countries. Of course, many of them European. Arguably, this was partly a result of the Bosman ruling, of course, in September 1995, which ended the payment of transfer fees for out-of-contract players. And, of course, it had a, a big impact on football. Not everyone knows that the ruling came from the European Court of Justice, and it applied also to the UK, who was a member state at the time. Philippe, to what extent did the Bosman ruling change British football? And looking ahead, how might the Premier League change as a result of Brexit? Wow, that's a <laughs> thank you very much for lobbing that question in my direction. <laughs> what did it change? Uh, probably everything. Uh, well, everything. We understand each other. Uh, what it did is that it opened the British market to players who otherwise wouldn't have access to it, sometimes to excess because there was, I mean, I, I did feel that some of the criticism, uh, which was uh, linked to the incredible influx of foreign players and European players, in the late 90s was to some extent justified and there were players who were literally taken on because there was a bit of a, of a fad literally and nothing much else but things got back to where they should be quite quickly uh, so yes it, it opened it in terms of volume rather than in terms of quality as to brexit so far and i might surprise you by saying that i think the effect is almost non-existent when it comes to uh, the playing and technical stuff the Premier League was quite clever. The Premier League, which actually had stated its opposition to Brexit, and as much the Premier League could do so, and in terms which were very Premier League-ish, to put in place a protocol, a kind of points system, which in fact, when you look at it more closely, allows clubs in England to more or less, well, Premier League clubs, that is, to more or less take on almost anybody they would want that would be at the required level. From that side of thing, is changed very, very little in terms of the influx of players, contrary to what uh, you know some people thought would happen at the time. I think some safeguards were put in place in football that perhaps were not put in place in other areas of society and in other parts of business. But football was very clever. 
and negotiated its way to a settlement that in many ways allowed it to carry on very much as before. I, I don't know if, if Claudio and Simon agree with me, but that's very much the impression I get when I look at what's happening on the transfer market, be it of coaches or of players at the moment. Uh, any comment on this, uh, Claudio and Simon? Yes, I'm, I am agree because uh, I was player without the Bosman law. It wasn't possible to go and I wasn't a champion, no. I was ATR in a club who was a yo-yo team, no. Uh, sometimes in Serie A, sometimes go down in Premiership, no. And uh, at the end of the year, you have to wait if the club want to maintain you or not. And uh, I think that Bosman Law was a very right thing. And uh, one for Simon before we wrap it up. Obviously, even financially, the Premier League is a step ahead to, to most other leagues, if not all other leagues, in fact. And uh, how it is portrayed as the best league in the world. Just how important is having the TV rights and the interest from all other European countries and globally uh, to keep the Premier League ahead of everyone else? Well, one statistic... The bottom club in the Premier League gets more television money than every single club on the European continent, except Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. So the Premier League is just super dominant, more than ever before in terms of money. And you see it in the results. If you look at the points that clubs obtain in European competitions, especially the Champions League, England overtook Spain as the best performing country in 2017, has been fairly consistently ahead of Spain and everyone else ever since. So for five years now, English clubs have been the best performers in Europe. And I don't really see how that's going to change. You've got to have a couple of clubs in Europe, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, that will be able to compete. But if you ask me, you know, which league is going to win the most Champions League in the next decade, I'm very confident it's going to be the English. And that's TV money. And that also comes after these two, three decades of European influence, right? So we can fairly say that after half an hour of talking, the European influence on the Premier League has been positive. It basically wouldn't be the Premier League as we know it without the influx of continental players. Absolutely no way. Transformational. Yeah, I mean, look at all the most successful coaches at the moment of all the top clubs. I think... What we were saying about Wenger and uh, the early pioneers has been uh, fully digested in a way now. And uh, it really makes for the Premier League as a mix, uh, an almost global, uh, global league. I think one last point, a final comment to wrap it up, Claudio, on just how important the European influx has been on uh, the Premier League. I think uh, the European influence was uh, important because uh, it's an open mind. I told you, now you can see all the matches in the world by television and the manager can study the other philosophy, the other experience for other country. No, when I watch the Dutch league, it's, it's important to see how they think their philosophy. Also, when I watch uh, in France or in Spain, in England, in Belgium, that that's it's very, very important because uh, for me, but I think also for the other manager, it's important to understand where the football goes. And where is the football going, Philippe and uh, Simon? It's hard to tell, isn't it? Certainly in terms of um, 
Well, I'm wondering if that the process of globalization, which accompanied the growth of the Premier League, I'm not sure that it can be replicated for many other leagues. It is in many ways a global league which happens to be played by English clubs in English stadiums, which is totally unique. And the reason why it is doing that, and it is in this position, is because it has managed a model in which precisely an opening, which is so paradoxical when you think about the situation now, in which opening the borders to foreign influence, digesting these influences, mixing it with an absolutely magnificent tradition, has enabled it to go forward in so many ways, be it on the field of play or outside of the field of play. I'm not sure that uh, many other leagues can do that, which again shows how you can move from insularity to globality in a matter of what? A decade and with such success. And um, I hope it's a model that <laughs> my English friends uh, can apply in other areas of their lives and uh, outside of football, but maybe that's just um, wishful thinking, but we shall see. Can I just add one thing? You said, where is football going? I'll tell you where it's gone. It's gone to Western European dominance in the world. It's not just a matter of leagues. Of course, our leagues have more money. But the last four world champions have been four different Western European countries. So this region, which has 5% of the world's population, dominates the global game. And that's because, as Claudio was saying, we exchange ideas, we learn from each other's leagues so well. And the Premier League has done that in the last 30 years. So this European ideas exchange is a mighty weapon that in football is omnipotent. And this is a perfect way to wrap it up, I think. Thank you to all my guests uh, today, manager Claudio Ranieri, Simon Cooper from the FT and Philippe Auclair from France Football. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao. It was a great way to sum up how Europeans and Europe have shaped and made English football to what it is today. Stay tuned for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe to London Calling EU wherever you get your podcasts from. Goodbye. <laughs>